0: Welcome to Postmodern Africa, Isha Yusufu, and thank you so much for accepting my invitation. Um, so I'm um, just skipping straight, right, delving right into the questions. Um, I'd like to ask you, with regards to your involvement with the Bring Back Our Girls movement over the years, and this is, I'm assuming, four years and counting, 1,500 and something days, isn't it ridiculous that the girls have not been brought back and what are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure for me uh, sitting down here with you and doing this. Um, it's not only ridiculous that the girls are not yet back. It's actually, it's unbelievable. It's heartbreaking. It's heart wrenching. Uh, you just imagine, are we really a nation with humanity? It's over four years uh, that we've been coming out every day to make demands for uh, Chibok girls. But basically, it's also not surprising that they are not back. Because why? The Chibba girls are children of the poor. And of course in Nigeria, if you're poor you're faceless, nameless and voiceless. So nobody cares. I mean they could it, people would have rather the government and every other uh, person would have rather they were forgotten. Nobody stood for them, so that we we'll all move on with our lives. But if they were children of the rich or children of those who are powerful, within uh, uh, minutes or hours, everything would have been done. In short, in the first place, they wouldn't have been taken, and so that's always the the, the the difference in in Nigeria. And it's it's really it's really. It's really a sad thing, but like I said earlier, it's not, it's not that surprising. But what, is, what has been most surprising is the fact that citizens came together and decided that they were going to uh, go ahead to campaign for their rescue and not give up on it. Because Nigerians are known for one thing. When we start something in no time, we forget about it and we move on. And so the staying power, the, 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 that power to persevere is always not there. And so this, that was one thing that came out, which was quite surprising. The citizens said, no matter what, you know, I always say, people will say Nigeria can never be united. And I try to look at the Bring Back August movement to say Nigeria can be united because this is a group of Nigerians from different religions, different ethnicities, ethnicity, different educational qualifications, different economic status coming together and just staying on for a singularity of purpose. And up to now, they have been there. A thousand, you know, 522 days and stay going.
0: So what do you think sustains the movement?
1: I think basically what has sustained the movement is the fact that uh, uh, people with the, same, uh, with the same mindset focusing on the singularity of purpose are there, and also the leadership. Mm. We got a leadership that uh, insisted on values, on integrity, on knowing what uh, the movement should be about and just focusing on it. And even when people would try to go in different directions, Mm -hmm. the leadership sort of like focused the people on it. But you would say that even though the movement has sustained itself, it has depleted in a way. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people who came with different motives, because of course when people came together, everybody had... um, uh, the reason why they came out together, for some it was because of bad governance. For some, because the administration, then the president had failed and he needed to go. And then for others, you know, different things. Oh, it's about girl child. It's about, oh, people were being bombed out of this. or it's about insecurity and all of that. And then along the way, some felt certain things should be done a certain way. Like for those who felt it was all about the administration, the moment there was a change in administration, they felt the movement should stop. And of course the movie said no, because we came out here for Chiborough Girls. And we said on April 30, 2014, when we made that promise that we will never go anywhere until each and every one of Chiba Girls is accounted for. I mean, we gave our words. And until each and every one of them is, is accounted for, some of us are not ready to go away. But for those who felt there has been by administration, they've gotten what they want, hey, they moved on. And so a lot of people have moved. But there has been a core of individuals that have said, no, we are not leaving this, we're going to stay on this course until the girls uh, are returned, and they're still out there. And we always say, it's not about the numbers, it's about the sincerity of purpose. And as long as there's one person coming out to demand for uh, girls, the universe will echo it.
0: Yeah, because I remember, um Obi is like wasili saying something about, like, as long as one person still continues to hold the candle, mm-hmm. it, it will continue to ripple throughout time. But one, one thing that struck me with the movement in particular was it's how it has this sort of, like, wavy thing. Every now and then, some celebrity carries the placard and suddenly everyone remembers it. And every now and then, it just falls, into the back, falls back into the background. What do you think led to, like, the global mass scale of people... Ho- Um, accepting it um, on Twitter, all over, um, Michelle Obama tweeting about it, um, taking a picture with it, with the placard, sort of saying like, this is something that needs to be done at that time and then suddenly needing, having it fizzle out. What do you think has caused that? Because people like you are still standing strong. What do you think is the key difference between people who suddenly um, want to change, think that, well, th- at this point it's heavy to stand up and every, time, every other time it's just like, let it go?
1: Uh, I think first of all, the reason why it went that global was because something horrendous had happened. I mean, girls were taken away from school, not just two, two girls or three girls, but almost 300. Girls were taken away 276 to be precise were taken away from school. And you know how hard it is first of all to get girls to go to school. If you look at Nigeria, it, it happened in the northeast eastern part of uh, Nigeria, and the northeastern part of Nigeria is a most educationally backward region and the least developed region and it's very hard to get girls to go, go to school. It's even very hard to get children to go to school and here you have girls all of a sudden this large amount of girls were taken away from school and i think for a moment when the hashtag hashtag was born on the 23rd of april 2004 when the hashtag sort of hit out and people realized wait a minute what's going on here i mean you mean students are in school that it's very difficult for them to even first of all get them in school are being taken away and so the word stood up and people came in and along the way it became fashionable to say bring back our girls. It became fashionable to be a part of the movement, to associate with the movement. You know, film stars, leaders, all over the world, people carried the placards. But after that, they moved on with their lives. And in fairness to a good number of people, the world has so many atrocities happening. It's no, more, it's no longer glamorous to hold the placard bring back. It's not down to doing the work. And one thing you always know is that, in everything that gets done, is the remnants that get it done, not the multitude. So people will come on the course, but they won't stay on. It's a few that will stay on and carry it on uh, to the end. And so along the way, people just filled it away. They were uh, the daily, their daily lives. Some people couldn't stand the emotional trauma of, you know, constantly coming out every day and making those demands. Uh, but there are some who stood and like saying, no, we, we can't give up on this. I, for me personally, I have my personal reasons for, for still standing on because the first reason why I came out for Chibok Girls was because of, I had children. And I was like, if my kids were taken away, I wouldn't stay at home and not do anything. So that was when I came out, April thirtieth, two 2014. But towards May, when we continue with the advocacy, it, for the first time in my life, I was able to reflect. When Chibok Girls happened, I was... Um, I had turned forty. I turned forty in December two thousand and thirteen, mm-hmm. and so for the first time within that period, I, I I looked into my life and I reflected on on things that I didn't have time to reflect upon, mm-hmm. and I realized that as of that time, that I was the Chiba girl mm-hmm. uh, twenty three years ago, because in, in 1991, mm-hmm. I was writing the same exam that Chibok girls were writing when they were abducted. And I was under the same circumstances because I grew up poor and I would go to school in the morning without breakfast. I would come back from school not expecting lunch. Food wasn't a given when I was growing up. And I knew that if I was taken away, my parents would never have been able to stand for me because like I said earlier, in this country when you're poor, you're faceless, nameless, and voiceless. And so I came to that realization that now I am standing for that voiceless little girl that used to cry, and nobody helped her. In 1991, I, 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 did, I read sciences. There's this textbook called Ababio, Oseya Ababio Chemistry. I was yeah. begging people to give me that textbook, so yeah. just for me to read for the exam, yeah. so that I would get an A. I was like, if I don't get an A, do whatever you wanted to And I didn't get the book. So Chibok gets too hard, we're going through that period. Because there was a father who came. His daughter was driven away because of 300 Naira. Testimonial that they needed to pay. So he had to work for a few days to be able to get 300 nera. As of that time, 300 nera is just uh, a, a, a bottle of uh, soft drink and maybe uh, some snack. Yeah. That was what he could but He didn't have it. And he worked hard to get it. And he took her to school. And that night, she was taken away. So you could see the agony with which such father. Another one did say to us that, oh, he doesn't even have a TV that you only hear about us on radio. It's when he goes to his friend's house that he can see the TV and work. So for me, I came to the realization. And in May 2014, I said to myself, even if it takes 20 years of my life, I'm going to give it to this cause. Because I was fighting for the little girl that I was. And I know there are a lot of little girls like me and little boys also who are going through the same thing. So it's all about conviction. Yeah. So people, those that have stayed on, their, their conviction is quite different from that. At the end of the day, for me, I, I feel everybody has a right to do what they want to do at the time that they want to do. It's all about conviction. If you're not convinced about a particular course or anything, there's no need of doing it, even if everybody is doing it. Absolutely. Like for me, let me just, in saying that, let me give you an example. I think 2012, January 1st, was when they did the subsidy, Occupy Nigeria. Occupy Nigeria. I never took part in Occupy Nigeria, because I didn't believe in that.
0: But do you think there is sort of like a, what's the word, a dishonesty in the representation of the Chibok girls? Because for example, Two weeks before the Chibok girls, or three weeks before it, the Buniadi Adi girls were taken. And even if, for example, about another, perhaps five, I remember there was this huge headline that came out one time that, oh, 500 girls or 700, 7, some 2,000 girls returned to um, their homes from Boko Haram and they were abducted. But everyone just looks at it like, oh, it's not the Chibok girls. So why do we, why do we shouldn't rejoice? And it's almost like there's this dishonesty with how the media is portraying the Chibok girls movement. And what do you think about that in particular?
1: There was a, a, a protest, uh, people, I remember seeing that protest on TV because mm-hmm. proud to Chibok girls coming out from, I wasn't very, I was, I was not on Twitter. I was only. Just active on Facebook from mm. time to time, I will put in some of my financial literacy posts and all of that. And so when I saw them on TV, I am like, oh my goodness, I would have loved to join, but I didn't know when it was called for. But there was, there was a protest that they, they were killed. And so the people will say, why didn't you continue with Gunia? What would you have done? Exactly. There was nothing to be done again. There was closure. They were dead. Mm. It was just to call on the uh, government to say, don't allow this to happen again. But of course, it did happen again, and Chiburl girls were taken away. For me, I don't think there is, there is the dishonesty in the representation. You know, mm. even for us as a movement, a lot of people have said to us, why do you only stand for Chiburl girls? Mm. And we said, we don't only stand for Chiburl girls. We always tell them Chiburl girls are a representation of those that were taken before and after them. The difference between Chiburl girls and other abductees is that Chiburl girls, they have a face, they have a name, they are verifiable. The other ones aren't. Mm. Let me give you an example. December 14, 2014, Mm. 156 women and children were taken away from Gumsuri. So when we heard that, of course, just like Chibok gets it was the international media that broke it. Mm. So when the movement, we heard that, we asked, we called on the government and the military. What is going on? We've heard that 156 of our citizens have been taken Mm. away from Gumsuri after the Chibok, uh, The military said they were going to get back on it and whatever they never did nobody said a word but you see in that case what could you do in february 2015 when there was six weeks postponement of election that was when the military started attacking the terrorists that was when they started getting back our uh, taking uh territories and all of that the first Thousands of abductees that they said they rescued, they said the 156 women and children from Gulf City were amongst them. So, how can you verify? You can't, because they are just numbers. And even when we said to them, like the movement, the Bring Back Argus movement, developed a document called Verification, Authentication, Reunification System Documents. They say VAS, we call it VAS. If citizens are brought back, if you rescue abductees, this is a process in which to verify them and reunite them with the society and let, you know, And we say to them, use that document or let us know if you've recovered citizens. Who are they? Where did they come from? Where were they taken away from? How many men? How many women? How many children? And I tell you, that was since 2015. Up to today, 2018, we are in here. They still don't do that. Just a few weeks ago, is it a month ago, they said they had rescued 2,000. Names. No, exact number and you know one funny thing with the military they are always exact numbers 2000, 15, 130 you know when we complained at one time they started changing a little bit but they've gone back to their own so you begin to wonder in that, in that case how do you verify you can't verify so they always tell you they have brought back certain numbers we, they are like ghosts we never know them and nobody is coming out to say oh amongst the people that were brought back my own family were amongst them so, but in the case of Chibo girls, you cannot say you've brought back Chibo girls because if you say we brought brought back, we can verify. So because of that, so that's how you can... But you see, when uh, that chi girls were taken away, yes. at least it's something that could be verified. Now we know there's one girl that is still left behind, Leah Sharibu. She has a name. She has a face. When um, uh, Lhasa women were taken away on their way to go and bury a police uh, within this administration, I think they were taken away in 2000 and. Uh, 17, or early two I'm not very sure of the date now we knew their names so we could hold that and advocate on their beh- yeah. behalf. The same thing with UNIMED lecturers and the government had to do something, they were returned. So that's just the difference. When there's no name there's no identity and you know because of that when we realized that citizens were being returned that in the first place we never knew we were abducted. What the Bring Back uh, Our Girls movement did was to say we needed to have a missing persons register. Mm. And we said it that to the last administration, they did nothing about it. When we met with President Mohamed Buhari on the 8th of July, 2000, uh, uh, that was 2015, we handed it to him and said we needed to have, begin to have a register so that we know all our citizens that we abducted. And we begin to know how many we are looking for that we need to bring back home. Nothing was there. And the movement went to the National Human Rights Commission. They took it up. They've been working on it. It's not yet on ground. It's bureaucracy you know, and all of that. But hopefully, it will come out where well. there will be documentation of citizens that we're taking away. Because right now, there's no value to the Nigerian life. You'll be taken away and nobody will know that than your family. Except, of course, if you have a famous surname.
0: The, the, the last question on this matter of the Chibok girls and all that was is precisely one confusion that I've received from different reports. Now, one one group of journalists argue, like um, Reuters argues, that um, the Chibok girls kidnapping was a was a result of a botched robbery that the, the people that the um, Boko Haram members went there to rob, and then they were the robbery was foiled, and then they decided to kidnap the girls. Um, on the other hand, this thing. Another group that says that they precisely went there to kidnap the girls in order to like stem this entire thing of girls going to school and sort of anti-education stance that of the name Boko Haram definitely implies. So I don't know which of them, given they have more experience with the entirety of the stories, which of them is more, which of them is accurate?
1: Uh, for me, I had a tribal girl that stayed with me yeah. for a long time in my house. Uh, she was one of the girls that were taken away. But she, didn't, she was one of the 57 that escaped. So she jumped out of the vehicle. And uh, what she said to me that day, and I think a number of her colleagues that were later brought out of captivity corroborated the same thing. So I, I tend to believe that more, was the fact that the terrorists went to the school to go and get food. So they went to steal food. So when they got to the school, She herself, Rebecca, was made, and a friend of hers, they were made to take the terrorists to the store where they keep their food. And so they packed the food, loaded the vehicles and all of that Mm. with the vehicle that they they, they came with. When that was done, Then, you know, first of all, when they got in, they came, they were wearing their military, they were wearing military, and said they were military, they had come to save them from the terrorists who were in town, and so that was why they were able to gather the girls to come out and stay outside in one place. And so, where the girls were, they started arguing. One group said, kill them, all of them. Another one said, no, it's not Islamic to kill uh, although it's not equally Islamic to burn and all of that but you know they have their own bread of Islam it's not Islamic to kill women we should not kill them another one said let's take them away so an argument ensured according to her for like hours so it was when the fire was now you know all of them were, was too hot for them sort of like blistering and all of that that was when they finally decided that okay let's take all of them along so they had to reduce some of the food they had carried. Some had to walk some distance, put the girls in, burnt the food there. I think, so They were th- there was even one that fell off. She broke her leg. They threw her back in. Um, I, th- I can't remember. I think was it one or two that couldn't get in. That's okay. She would be the one to go on and tell the rest. So that was her. So for me, I think I tend to believe that more because I got it from first hand from a girl who had escaped, who was part of it. And even when later, was it almost three years later when some of them were yeah, right. rescued the first rescue was after two years they still corroborated the same the, the same story and so that was how they drove away and she rebecca with her friend they were in the same van and she was like telling her friend they should jump out yeah. the friend was too scared but she just went man- because what they had we were not driving there they had this uh motorcycle yeah. so when the girls were crying so they were cycling the them going back to make sure none of them dropped out and then I think some of the girls became afraid because they had said to them if you jump out we're going to kill you mm. so some were like no drawing even those that wanted to escape yeah. but she just plucked that courage and she yeah. jumped out of the vehicle and started running into the bush and so they came after them with the, uh, the, the machines and all of that into the, uh, the bushes so she had to lay down in certain place and yeah. that's how she escaped so, so for me I tend to believe that. I say they went, what they went for, it wasn't even a robbery, but it, like, it was food they went to carry from the school.
0: <laughs> so it wasn't the direct account to even their own No,
1: no, no, no it, no, it wasn't. So it, it was, I think maybe probably later or like the one in Dapchi. Yeah. Was, okay, was okay, even okay. before Dapchi, there was a school, a federal government college that had tried to abduct uh, some girls. That was in 2014, it late, or 2015. Mm-hmm. And then that was some, there were some citizens who were able to follow that their attempts to, so they were able to get with the, the military, they were able to evacuate the guests. But in the case of Dabchi, they went, uh, the guests were taken mm-hmm. and um, one, one thing I just wanted to mention was the fact that they came in the same style that, that happened to Chibo because some of the girls, that was the reason why they didn't enter the bus when they were told to come and start entering the gate because they said they remembered this Chibo guests. it was the same way that they were taken away. Mm-hmm.
0: No, but so th- doesn't that mean that perhaps it that they perhaps didn't even realize the worth of the girls that they had kidnapped, or the idea, or the idea that they were, they were, there was a direct affront to um, education and the idea of and value of keeping you, keep, keep the girls in school and Boko Haram in that sense. They
1: had already kept people away from school. So, okay. so it wasn't, they didn't even need Chibok girls to keep people away from school. Remember, all, almost all schools in Borno were, were, were closed down. Even within the period, as of the time that the attack happened, Chibok was one of the places in Borno that the terrorists had not come to. Hmm. Their attack on the school was their first attack towards Chibok. that area. Yeah. So it was relatively safe. And so that's why the other schools that were closed, even the school where the girls were attacked was sort of closed, but it was only those that were writing their exams, that w- their SSC, they were yeah. wanted them to finish before they would now go home and then the, to be closed totally. And they had taken some students from neighboring towns to all come and meet in that Chibok and write the exams. Yeah. So that's why even some of the girls there, you find they don't know some of the classmates because they were the ones that were brought in. Yeah. And then there were also boys. The boys were not borders. They were just come because they all brought them to come to a particular point to write the exams. Yeah. And they go, so I think the terrorists had succeeded in keeping people away from schools because schools were closed down. Yeah. And they were for over two years. So that attack on education uh, still, still went on. So they didn't really need the girls to be able to, on, 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 to prove that point because it was already on. Schools had been closed in Bono State, so they had achieved their aim. But I think, of course, they didn't realize the value. So when there was that outcry, they realized the value of what they had. And you know, there are some people who will blame the Bring Back Our Girls movement and say, oh, it was because you came out that the terrorists now knew how the importance yeah. of the, and they decided to keep them longer.
0: That's brilliant. And Just to move on a little to um, the talk about NGOs, uh, the thing is, I'm sure within this past four years, you've worked with a number of international organizations that are working to basically, um, in Borno or in the northeast, to basically alleviate the suffering there in one way or the other. Now, what do you think about the, what do you think about international aid agencies in general coming into Nigeria and helping? Do you think they, they help the situation or do you think they make the situation worse?
1: Uh, uh, First of all, I would just like to clarify that I don't have that in-depth knowledge Mm -hmm. of working of the uh, international organizations, uh, sorry, uh, the NGOs and all of that, and the work in the Mm -hmm. Northeast. Mine has been more of the advocacy part, but we do have some members of the Brimba Girls Movement who have delved into the whole taking care and providing care and all of that with NG, they'll be in a better position uh, to speak on it. But I still have, uh, I can still speak generally but I don't have in-depth, But there are people who have better knowledge on that than I do. Um, I think for me, first of all, Nigeria is a nation that ought to be able to take care of itself. We really don't need most of the aids that we get. But we are just a wasteful nation that is not ready to sit up, that still wants to be fed or or throughout, but then at the same time, the NGOs they help. The international, the NGOs they help a lot because most times you find that they tend to bring a bit of sanity. They tend to bring. They are not under government, unlike when you have the uh, either the local NGOs because the local NGOs most of them are dependent on foreign mm-hmm. offering aid and all of that. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other ones that government are what are no NGO but government assistance. You find a lot of corruption and a lot of uh, yeah. that taking yeah. it away from There's the main way. people who oh, are yeah, supposed it's, it's, I mean, we got a time where we heard that uh, 80 trucks of food got missing going to Barnabas. Yeah. And 80, I didn't say 80 bags, I said 80 trucks. And that's it. And up now, nothing. We saw a situation where the uh, Saudi government had sent, I can't remember how many tons of dates yes. to IDPs during last fasting. Yeah, and, and, and it got days, missing. And, you know, the Nigerian government apologized to the Saudi government. But I tell you up to now, there was no culprit that was brought to book. So the next time you go to Saudi Arabia, and a Saudi man is looking at you as if you are a thief, you are angry at him, but why should you be? His government sent you dates, and it was stolen, and our government apologized, and there was no culprit. So it means it's normal. So, you, so that was part, that's part of the things that happened with the corruption and all of that. But the, the international uh, thing, NGOs, they've been able to help. the aid donors and give a lot of uh, sort of like um, uh, relief and so-called to the whole problem on ground. But the thing is that the government is the one that has the primary responsibility to take care of this and so whatever they do, is, to, is, to, is it's not supposed to be the primary, but just like a secondary help. But right now, we have turned them to the primary help. And it's not enough for the whole lot of things that, that need to be done in, in, the, in the northeast. Not just the northeast now, all over Nigeria. Because we have internally displaced people all over Nigeria. We have people who uh, houses that have been destroyed and all of that. Zamfara, you know, Southern Kaduna, you talk about uh, Nesarawa, you talk about Bainwe, you talk about Taraba, a whole lot of things are happening. So for how, and then remember also that Nigeria is not the only place where atrocities happen, where there are disasters, where there are others. So there are other countries that also, uh, they are they are dependent on those international NGOs to come in and do the donor agencies and all of that to do their bits. So. We just need to get our arts together, as a nation.
0: Um, but w- one, one major concern that I've thought about, or a lot of people have raised with regards to a- NGOs, is perhaps the idea of um, a conflict of cultures, it may be. So, for example, um, if an NGO is for example, an NGO can come with the idea of fighting against female genital mutilation in Nigeria, which, of course, is a with l g with fighting for LGBTQ rights, which is also some may argue is also a necessary thing that needs to be done in Nigeria. But in in Nigerian, will be like, okay, well, let's accept the FGM money, but on the other hand, let's not collect the money from those advocating for LGBTQ rights. Now, what do you think determines the difference between people advocating for those two different things?
1: Well, it, it's all about conviction, and it's all about one's values. And no matter what one has to do, one has to align oneself with one's values. You know, when I say today the fight for the LGBTQ fight and all of that, their rights, and how the fact that the Western world has, there's this arrogance that has to do with the Western world, where they feel that anything that they do, is the best and it's okay and it has to be loaded over everybody and everybody must do it. Mm. As a ten year old or even less than ten year old, I saw men marrying men mm. in Kano. Mm. They are called endowed. We have gay men, they do they get they even sometimes they come together, they have weddings. I'm telling so what I'm talking to you it's early eighties. Mm. So I was ten in 83, 1983. Mm-hmm. So by 83, 84, even earlier than that, I had seen men getting married. But what was the stance in the Western world? It was different. But did we push it down their throat? I'm not saying that, you know, it's legal here, but it was tolerated. Yes. There were people who, you see them, they would be dressed like men. Sometimes you enter a bus and then you stuck, and then you later realize that, oh, yes, he's endowed the way they are called, you know, game, And then, you find them; they were the ones who we they had this. They make the snacks. They were the ones who we cook. Mm. They had this cooking. They would do this fried yam. A lot mm. of cooking when were, were done by them, mm. and people would love to eat their food and all of that. But you know, at that time. We didn't push it down their throat mm. that they had to give them the equal right and everything. They were not tolerant of them at, the way at that time. The way I was tolerant of them, the we way we were tolerant yeah. of them here in Nigeria, even in the northern part of Nigeria. More yes, more conservative. It was, mm. it was there. So why are they doing that now? And they think they need to force it down. For me, I have issues with those. It's just, for example, now. And here in this part of the world, a man can marry two wives, mm. but over there, a man cannot marry. It's even a crime yeah. for you to what's it called now, bigamy? Yeah. Is, yeah. is that the pronunciation, bigamy? Yeah. It's a crime. So. Have we gone there to push it down their throat that you need to give people a choice? If a man decides he wants to have four wives, let him have. If a woman decides she wants to have ten husbands, let her have. So if we have not done that, because there are places where women marry more than uh, one husband and it's allowed, but they haven't pushed it down their throat. So why are they pushing what they think it's, uh, it's now modern or it's the right thing to do or down other people so they should a lot of people develop the way they want but
0: they have a case if for example things like um interventions like the, the polio vaccine that came into Nigeria a while ago, like a long time ago, and basically helped eradicate polio to a large extent in Nigeria. They have a case for things like female genital mutilation, they showed the harmful practice, how harmful such a practice was. They have a case for things like killing of twins of twins in Akwaibom, for example, with Mary Slesso, and all that kind of stuff. So they have certain cases which they can hold as, oh, this is our track record for us showing that things are wrong, and you accepting it eventually, eventually that this is right. So can they not continue to advocate with as much favor and tell us that, well, people don't understand. Let me tell you what is right.
1: Over time, yeah, the kind, people are more enlightened now, even if you look at in Africa, even that same Africa, it depends on the side of Africa. There were places where, even before the coming of the West, people were already enlightened, people were already writing, people were already reading. Whole, I mean, they were, it's not only West that came, <laughs> even the East came and did their own colonization, yeah. but they did it in a subtle way different from uh, this yeah. thing. So for me, I think it's not just right now they need to give people a little bit of chance to say, this is what we want to do. Let me give you an example. You go to the West today, tattoo. Yeah. Tattooing, it's, it's a thing of fashion. Yeah. Hello? <laughs> and that's clarification. Yeah. It's a thing of fashion, right? Yeah. You know who started that? My ancestors. And they, they belittle them. They call them all sorts of names. And it's the same thing that they are doing right now. The tattooing, the scarification and all of that, those were the things that my people were doing and they were like, oh, you guys have to stop this and all of that and whatever. And today they've taken it on. So are we going to go there and start telling them, don't put on those tattoos? Because when my forefathers were putting on tattoos, you told them it was wrong and all of that. So I think there's a need of understanding and to Great extent allowing people to be able to develop at their own pace and understand. But not with, notwithstanding, it's a good thing by the time you find that, oh, these are the things you want to push. But allow the people accept it or not. Don't push it down their throat. And of course, again, who pays the pipers dictates the tune, yeah. the music. And so yeah. if the money comes, they're most likely going to change people. And so it bears <laughs> down to. Isn't that a form of colonialism? It <laughs> is. No, you know, there's no need for colonialism now. Mm. There's no need. Hello, how many hundred years ago? The West will come to Africa, then we take the people, citizens of Africa, Mm. put them in ships and take them to Europe Mm. and America and and enslave them. But you know what happens now? Mm. It is the people in the the African continent Mm. that are taking themselves, putting themselves in migrant ships Mm. and going to Europe now to to get themselves what? So the thing bears down to the fact that we as a nation, we need to sit up as a continent. Africa has not only filled itself, it has filled every person who, who was every black person around the world whose ancestors were sold as slaves down because Africa has not given them a bragging right for them to be able to say, hey, if you don't do the right thing here, I can go back to the motherland. Mm -hmm. The motherland has failed because we're not doing that. And it all bears down to good governance. There's no good governance. And so people are running away to get themselves as slaves. So it is our forefathers were put through those ships and they were dying. I mean, just a few days ago, you saw that Europe were rejecting a a migrant ship. It was Spain. Spain has all oh, the other great said it. Yeah, it is, they it. say they didn't want it. Italy mm-hmm. is tired, it's, and all of that they say they don't want. It was finally spent. And you could see little children, you could see people are dying. You even saw what happened in Libya. People were being sold as slaves. Mm. So on their own volition, people gathered money and left the shores to go and gather themselves and slave. It's 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 quite sad. Yeah.